In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Enjoy all four seasons. We would typically be spending our winter months on our skis and checking out various versions of Midwest mountains. And I say Midwest mountains because I also know what real mountains look like. And we don't have those. But we might be on downhill skis or some other frozen treasures. But given the fact that my daughter had two broken arms and we had to tame down our adventures this winter, I wanted something a little bit more subdued. And last season, last winter, actually, I think about February in 2021, I had come across a YouTube video for building an igloo. And in my head, I thought this was going to be the perfect family project. I thought I'd use this episode, though, to share the reality and all of the winter adventures that came with this. Before I get too far into the content, I should mention at some point, you might want to hop over to the episode website for this episode. I typically do a blog post that goes along with each episode. It has the embedded audio and then the show notes. And this time, since I do have some visuals, I will also be including some pictures, a few short videos that I have, and I will make mention I had a lot more until I had to reset my phone this weekend and got locked out completely. So I lost most of my videos from the entire process. So hopefully we can kind of show you our progress. It was fun. And I mean that with complete, it probably didn't come through in my voice. This was much more fun than I think I thought it was going to be. I think it was more fun than my husband thought it was going to be. (laughs) So we'll come back to that as what I thought it was going to be and what he thought it was going to be. I also wanted to give some context to what I thought this process was going to be like and what it actually was. You know, um, I learned this from a YouTube video. And as in life, you know, as things appear online, aren't always what they're like in real life. So we're going to dive into those. I used a lot of, you know, I even tried this in 2021. I think I mentioned that. And it was a very short stint. I think I maybe got like 15 blocks of ice made and the ring of like the circle that I was going to use made. And then pretty much the sun came out and everything melted. So it was a short lived project. But I used that to also inform and have better success going into this project. So I did get beyond 12 blocks of snow or 15 blocks of ice, I should mention. And we did have a pretty, I will call it success, but you're going to hear what my definition of success is in a bit. So with that, let's talk about our life lessons. Number one, bigger is not always better. (laughs) The size of the igloo, the blocks of ice, the amount of mortar that we needed, you know, all of this. It was so funny. When I saw that video of the igloo, it had several rooms on YouTube. And of course, YouTube makes everything look so much easier. So when I started this, we ordered just like these takeout containers and they were definitely too small. I would have needed a million pans in order to make any progress. So I ordered bigger pans this year. And the pans I ordered were the right size, but they were too thin. They weren't thick enough to make the blocks of ice 
I guess, hardy or thick enough to really make substance so that the walls would stand and be sturdy. So the ideal size pans are nine by 13 and they're half size disposable baking pans. And I'm going to eventually link this. It might not be in the show notes when this publishes, but I will link this to the exact pans that I bought on Amazon. And you should fill them about with two thirds cup or or two thirds full with water. I had this vision that I was going to make this huge igloo. Now, I wasn't going to make multiple rooms or tunnels going into different rooms. I just decided I was like, nope, it's going to be one room and we're going to either sleep in it or have some fancy winter snack in it as a family or maybe dinner in it or something like I was imagining this was the experience I was creating. I'm almost six feet tall probably hard to tell based on my voice. And I also wanted it big enough so that I was comfortable enough. Like I didn't want to have to be painfully on my elbows, like crawling through the doorway to get into this thing. So I wanted it big enough. But that adds a lot of complexity. Like bigger means more stuff. It means more blocks of ice. It means how in the world am I going to put this roof on? (laughs) So ultimately, it became quite a project to complete. And I'll come back and you're going to hear this over and over again. Had I planned for something just a little bit smaller, a little bit more manageable, I think we would have actually been able to potentially complete my vision. Lesson number two, geometry matters. When I was working on creating the initial pattern, I grabbed a cross-country ski pole and I had my son put his foot through the handle, like the little loop at the at the top handle. I had him put his foot in there and his foot was kind of like the center point for the protractor to make the circle. And then with the point or the tip of the ski pole, I drug my feet around the circumference of the circle. Yes, I'm using geometry terms and made the pattern, so to speak. Let me remind you, that this pole was a five foot radius. That's a radius is half of a diameter. The height is the same as your radius. So we were looking at a five foot tall igloo. And again, I don't know why I thought I needed that, but it was 10 feet wide. It was really big. And looking back, I think we could have done that. Um, Spoiler alert, I did not actually finish the igloo before it came to its ultimate demise, i.e. melting. And given how I made it, how big I made it, I don't know if I would have been able to put a roof on it. My husband and I were already trying to figure out what type of ladder I would need to secure the top. I mean, I would be able to build it from the inside, but then just be able to secure the top. And we didn't have a hose. Our hose was all frozen up. So there were some issues that were coming with the finishing process. But what I also was learning is that not only does geometry matter in terms of the size that you make it, but also navigating a curved surface with square blocks is also kind of interesting. I'll come back to this, but this actually was not as hard as I thought it was going to be. I imagined that it was going to have to fit perfectly, making a round object and, you know, perfect curves, you have to kind of get over the fact that this isn't going to be perfect. So the best solution I had was to stagger the blocks each row so that when you had a seam in one row, you had a block directly above it whenever possible. I am not necessarily a creative maneuver, nor am I a a MacGyver kind of girl. My husband's better at that, but he was not necessarily figuring this out either. It was kind of one of those like, huh. In the end, what we learned was using broken pieces. 
as much as possible. So between staggering blocks and using broken pieces, we actually were able to contort this wall, this straight wall into this bent thing. It was so fascinating. And I'm still in shock that it actually worked. I think as I was in the midst of this, I realized and I saw like, oh my gosh, this is geometry. And I loved math as a kid. I loved geometry. I loved algebra. I loved all these things. And so for me, it was like putting the ultimate puzzle pieces together and then maybe having to adapt when things didn't turn out the way you expected. And while it's not 100% relevant to detailed geometry lessons in school, it really got my wheels turning about how might we teach our kids differently about using experiences like this to teach traditional educational concepts. And so I didn't geek out and do this with my kids, but I saw the potential of like, oh, we could do this kind of stuff and use this to reinforce what we're learning. Anyway, I digress. My number three, color makes everything so much more fun. And this, I found dollar washable paint from the dollar store. Actually, darn inflation. It's $1.25 a bottle now. But I would suggest washable paint over food coloring. Number one, it does not stay in the clothes. And number two, it's a lot cheaper. So we would put these really fun, vibrant colors, pink, yellow, and turquoise blue in the water each night before the water froze into these ice cubes, big ice pans, I should say, ice blocks probably. And that was so much fun. One of my most joyful things day after day was walking outside and seeing this array of colored ice in a wall. And I think I strongly encourage you, you know, even if you're not building an igloo, add just a pop of color into your life. You might be surprised just how much you notice this little bit of cheerfulness when you weren't expecting it. Number four, there are many elements outside of your control. The most critical factor to my success was the temperature and the amount of time that was needed. I'll come back to time. But the best time of day to work on an igloo is after 6.30 p.m. when the sun is set and the temperature has dropped to an idyllic under 32 degrees. The other thing that's required is that it has to be consistently under 30 degrees to start or have any momentum in building this. So the way this worked is every night we would, I think I come back to this, but we would essentially create a freezing station. And initially we were just laying these out on the ground or we would lay out the pans and fill them with water on our porch. None of those actually worked very well because they would freeze to the surface. And thankfully my husband's really smart and he's like, you need to put it on wood because concrete and even the porch that we were having, it was too plasticky. And so that was freezing. Anyway, he ended up taking construction sawhorses. We had four total and he took eight foot two by fours. I think there were six total and we would spread out the 20 plus pans and pour the water, the buckets of water. There were five gallon buckets. We'd just pour them in two thirds full in each pan, stir in the water, stir in the color And they would have to sit overnight and they'd almost have to sit a full, a pretty significant amount of time while this top layer would start to ice over pretty quickly. The bulk of your freezing happens overnight and that would be frozen enough to hopefully sustain you through the day. However, there would be days where the temperatures would rise and they would get really slippery and almost slimy and that wouldn't necessarily work. So we couldn't build with that ice the next day. And I just learned like there were days when I couldn't mass produce ice because I couldn't, I didn't have like a mass production freezer. I couldn't 
tell Mother Nature to get colder. There were just so many things I couldn't do. And so even if we tried to strategize how we could scale making more ice or to make ice faster, it was just completely outside of our control. So it's worth checking the weather every once in a while to see what the forecast will be and when to start. Because I also wouldn't want you to start all of this and be defeated if you're having a heat wave. Number five, ice can break in ways you don't plan. (laughs) We worked so hard for each pan of ice and it was so critical for each pan of ice because every block got you a little bit closer. Remember, I made this thing gigantic. So it was slightly devastating when they would break either coming out of the pan or if one would slide down while you're laying the blocks to create the walls. Sometimes we just needed to intentionally break ice to try to fit in small spaces or reinforce an area that wasn't quite 90 degrees. And so we tried to make this methodical. My husband even attempted to cut a block of ice with his jigsaw and surprisingly, he couldn't cut through it. I, I, we were both shocked. Like, what do you mean? We can't cut through it. It was that hard. We couldn't cut through it. Sometimes it will just not cut or the way you planned it was going to cut does not necessarily work. This might be too much information, but there were times when an ice block would break and it totally felt like I just dropped a bottle of breast milk. (laughs) So any mom might understand my experience there. You work so hard to get this block of ice and yet you lost it. You know, it took hours or potentially days to get this block of ice. So I was pretty scrappy. I would always pick up and repurpose whatever pieces I could My son actually found this. Smaller pieces were really helpful in carving to use almost like as carving stones and crack away bumps or impurities on these big blocks. So when you would freeze them, sometimes the pans would not mold 100% because we were using the pans over and over again. So they would start to get out of shape or one might be a little bent or there may be a notch that kind of we overfilled it or there was something in the pan that just created like a dent and it made a little notch, making it less smooth to stack on. And my oldest son said, well, here, and he grabbed a small piece and started just kind of hitting on it like you would almost like carving a rock. And he was able to smooth that down. So even though a broken piece is broken, and it may not be its full capacity or how you imagined, it's still worth it. And you can use it somehow to reinforce your structure. Number six, never underestimate the power of a little snow and water. And I know if anyone's lived in or driven in any place with snow and water, you know what happens when they mix together. The most awe-inspiring aspect of this process was making and attaching the blocks of ice together with this snow water slush. From here on out, I'm going to call it mortar. The mortar was like a consistency of shave ice. If you're familiar with the Hawaiian slush consistency, kind of like a snow cone, but, you know, a little bit more mushy. On a cold night, the blocks would freeze into place almost effortlessly and with just a small handfuls of this mortar. And to my point earlier, more is not better. In fact, there were times when things would be slipping or falling and I just thought, oh, like pile on the mortar. And that actually made it worse because you're adding more weight and it was not, yeah, it actually created a lot more challenges and you made the edges more rough. And so it was harder to stack them. And then we were grinding them down a little bit more. So more mortar was not the solution. The initial mortar, every time we'd put the block into place, it's messy and it doesn't have to be perfect. 
because I also remembered after years of standing alongside my husband who has tiled jobs galore, I know that you take the mortar in there and you kind of slap it on and then you wipe it with your finger or anytime you're caulking a window, you slap on the caulk and then you wipe it with your finger and it makes a perfect edge. And so that was kind of the philosophy we use is we would put on just enough to make it stick. And then we would just take enough to smooth it out or maybe add a little bit more to smooth it out. And it would create a very smooth surface that we would put above and below. So we would kind of blend the mortar in with the blocks. And that was what ultimately helped with the curve or the angle as we were moving up. Now, the edges of the blocks were angled, so that did help. But usually we were stuffing quite a bit of mortar into those angled edges to get it to fit exactly how we needed it to. But that was a fun little tip. And it's amazing how strong that snow and water can be in comparison to those blocks of ice. My bigger lesson, I think, was when I tried to put on more mortar, the solution was not more mortar, right? If things were falling or things were slipping, it usually meant the ice needed more time or I needed to be more patient. I wasn't waiting long enough for them to set up or I was letting go too quickly or the ice was just too slippery. It may have had a water consistency inside of it or on the edges that were just making it too wet for the conditions for the mortar to hold up. So ultimately, the answer was not necessarily more mortar. <laughs> it meant slowing down or being a little bit more patient. Number seven, melting reinforces the structure overall. My assumption going into this, if I was just to project what I thought was going to happen when the igloo collapsed, you know, we all imagined that it would just kind of come crumbling down, that all of the edges of the blocks would fall apart, so to speak. But that's actually the opposite of what happened. Every night, you know, you'd have this warming and cooling and that change in temperature would create the blocks of the ice to melt and they would drip down and they would actually reinforce the foundation of the igloo every single night. So when the ice would maybe warm up during the day, you might get some dripping or you might get some slipperiness to the outside of the ice. It would drip down, it would reinforce the lower levels and it would freeze back up. And so when I would go each night to build the next layer, I didn't have to reinforce the entire way up all the way from the bottom because most of that had already been reinforced and was really strong. It was just the top that sometimes needed a little bit of patching. It kind of reminded me about life. You know, when we fall apart, we always think we have to fix everything and get everything back into place. But oftentimes it's just simply reinforcing our foundation. So falling apart or melting or warming things up a little bit doesn't always mean it's going to completely crumble. It might just need a little reinforcement. Number eight, ideal conditions are the exception, not the norm. I have been working on this igloo for probably a month and a half if I'm being completely true to like start and finish. Ideal conditions were cold, but not windy, with enough fluffy snow to make mortar mixed with water, but not icy snow. I think, you know, as I look at the roughly 40 to 50 days that I worked on this project, I probably had three ideal days. So clearly the ideal day was not the norm. We worked on this project every single day. I think 
I think there were several days, actually. Either something happened with our schedule and we just couldn't get outside or we went away for a weekend. And so obviously we just weren't home. There were two weekends, but we were gone. I know actually for a fact. And the final weekend actually led to its ultimate demise just because we didn't do any work on it that weekend. We hadn't done any reinforcements. And so when the fateful day came where it melted, there was just too much string cheese in that igloo for it to possibly stay up. But the only other days that I did not work on it were because the weather was actually too warm. And I wasn't about to complain because the weather was too warm in Wisconsin. So as in life, we always hope things are going to go according to plan, but they rarely do. It will often take you longer than you think. Being the optimist, and you know, I had watched this YouTube video, so clearly it looked like it was only going to take one snowstorm or maybe a couple weeks at best. I worked every single day for at least 45 days, again, given those little exemptions that I just told you about, and I still didn't finish. As in life, you know, what you see online is not necessarily the truth or the full story. So given my points above about, you know, things that are outside of your control, like the temperature, there's always a cause and effect from warm weather and igloo building. Point made. (laughs) Number nine, many hands do not always make the work lighter. As I alluded to in my intro, I thought this, you know, my daughter's accident and the absence of having these other adventures would allow this to be a fun family bonding project. The rest of the family was not as excited about this project as I was. My daughter didn't really have use of her hands, so there were just limitations to what she could do. She might help with smoothing out the mortar or mixing the colors. The boys were just more excited to be outside. So sometimes they would come over and be like, oh, wow, you're making good progress. Or they would hold a block for me. But by and large, this was like 80% my project. My husband was a great sport. He was also pretty clear early on, like, this is your project. You're in charge of this project. Don't expect me to do this for you. And he knows me. That's why he's saying that. He knows that I start a project and often am not the person to see it through. I don't often have the tenacity to finish the way I had intended. You know, everyone was willing to help out from time to time. But this wasn't necessarily a project that all of us could just lend a hand in without these kind of sporadic interactions. What was interesting was that because this project existed, though, it got us outside every single night. And that is actually number 10. A project with a purpose is so much more fun. I could have said every single night, let's go outside. And I can guarantee we'd be whining and complaining. I would have been whining. I wouldn't necessarily known what to do. Like, what am I going to do outside? I'm not the person that just starts a project and has the tenacity to see it through, as I just mentioned. And it was late February when someone was complaining about how horrible the weather in Wisconsin was. And I kind of looked at them like, are we from the same town? I think it's been a delightful winter. We've had great snow. It hasn't been too cold. Every single night, we were outside playing. And it was a fun routine. After supper, before bed, we'd run outside for at least an hour. We'd play. We'd see what progress we were making. And as I said, we embarked on this project. I wanted to make people jealous that they didn't live in the cold. And I even had a couple of friends mention, you know, if they could come up for a weekend, they would just to experience this because it was really fun. And while I may not have won the grand prize in igloo building, or created the idyllic experience with lights inside, illuminating the colors while we all enjoyed like 
a winter snack, sipping on hot cocoa. Yeah, no, I'm not going to be in the Home and Garden magazine. Even though I said that was my ideal or what the experience I was trying to create, it was okay. Even on that fateful day in February when Iggy rolled over while basking in the sun, my son still got an extra layer of an experience out of that. You know, they were having so much fun crashing up the blocks of ice. We eventually loaded the ice blocks or at least the bigger pieces into a sled and hauled it out into the woods. And not too long ago, I went for a walk with the dog and I just smiled because I saw all these colorful blocks of ice now kind of melting-ish into a blob in the woods. But it was so much fun to remind ourselves of those 40 to 50 days I can't tell you exactly how many, but it was generally speaking, a delightful experience that all of us look forward to. As I'm practicing how to slow down and enjoy everyday adventures on the path to our next bag experience or to have projects like these to keep our focus for a few months, I just think it's really fun to sit here and enjoy the process. Even though we didn't finish, and even though we aren't going to be on the magazine cover, and we did not sing Kumbaya drinking hot chocolate, it was worth every ounce of doing and fixing and trying again. You know, spending time outside has such quality. It just has so many helpful benefits. And it was such a quality time in Wisconsin. It felt like an accomplishment. And I'm already looking forward to next year. And who knows, maybe we'll even host a little ordinary Sherpa adventure family meetup and build igloos. Who knows? I'm getting better at this, you know? All that to say, I think winter and cold igloos is behind me now. And we are looking forward to spring with all the energy as this final stretch of my next project is in the wings. My book is near publishing. I don't have the final date just yet. I'm self-publishing, by the way. And so this is just a fun, another adventure in designing a life of adventure. I did not necessarily know what I was signing up for when I started writing this book. But if you are enjoying the little adventure stories, my book, Beyond Normal, A Field Guide to Embracing Adventure, Exploring the Wilderness, and Designing an Extraordinary Life with Kids will be available the end of April. So if you are interested in these final couple months in learning the stories behind Ordinary Sherpa and you want to pre-read, or maybe you want to support us in launching us into this next chapter, pun intended, (laughs) or maybe you just want behind the scenes look into what the book publishing process looks like, I encourage you to join us as we embrace spring, we brace this next chapter, and we go into summer with a new book. You might want to join my launch team. If you go to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash read, most of this is done via email. I'm not going to do a Facebook group. I am just going to keep the alerts that are coming out on the Facebook group. So if people are interested and want to know where the book process is at, when you can pre-order, all of those things, you can either join the Facebook group, but I would say I'm really targeting those that are interested will be on the email list, which is OrdinarySherpa.com backslash read. Thank you so much for joining us on these adventures. I look forward to connecting with you each and every week. And we'll be back next week with more stories of families adventuring. Want to join my launch team? If you go to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash read, most of this is done via email. I'm not going to do a Facebook group. I am just going to keep 
the alerts that are coming out on the Facebook group. So if people are interested and want to know where the book process is at, when you can pre-order, all of those things, you can either join the Facebook group, but I would say I'm really targeting those that are interested will be on the email list, which is ordinarysherpa.com backslash read. Thank you so much for joining us on these adventures. I look forward to connecting with you each and every week. And we'll be back next week with more stories of families adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.